Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As I oh, as always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. Uh, today we got a bunch of news to talk about. It has been a very busy week and week and a half or so, I guess. Uh, obviously, we had Chris on last week. If you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. Uh, it's a great podcast, but uh, we were we kind of ignored the uh, current stuff going on and looked at bigger topics. So figured what better time than catch up on some of the past week and a half, two weeks news than right now. And uh, boy, Chase, there's uh, quite a bit to talk about. Multiple firings, some demotions, uh, suspensions. Uh, where do you want to start here? Yeah, it kind of feels like everything happened like a whole bunch of things that should have happened forever ago all happened within like a week of each other. It's like the classic one domino falls and then a bunch come with it as teams start seeing others make moves. And uh, I guess we can start with the first domino, which I have written down as the Montreal Canadians uh, yeah. by parting ways with um, uh, their GM and bringing in a new president of hockey, hockey operations. Um, so obviously uh, Bergevin is gone. Uh, it kind of looked like, oh, I mean, it would by three weeks into the season, it was obvious it was going that way, uh, um, that he wasn't coming back at the end of the year, Mark Bergevin. Um, and then, you know, we had talked about even a couple weeks ago already, what's the point of keeping around if he's not going to be at the end of the year? And uh, they finally decide to part ways and um, they bring in Jeff Gordon uh, as the president of hockey or the vice president of hockey operations because the owner is the uh, president of hockey operations. Um, it sounds like Jeff Gordon will be looking for a, spend, a French-speaking GM as well. Uh, it'll be un- It's a little unclear about what the role will be there, if it's like a typical GM. Like he will be looking for a French-speaking puppet. Yes, that's kind of what I get there as well. It kind of feels like Gordon is going to be more of the GM than like, like people who are trying to relate to like Shanahan and Dubas, but I think it's pretty clear Dubas has the power. I mean, they obviously both have the power, like they they talk everything over, but it's pretty clear that Dubas is the one that does all the negotiation and makes the decisions. Whereas this feels, and you know, Shanahan's there to assist and help when needed, but I don't think it's Shanahan just, you know, playing down an iron fist or whatever. This kind of feels more like Jeff Gordon is going to be doing a lot more of the GM stuff, but his French speaking person is going to be doing media and, and the technical negotiations through Gordon. Yeah, it sounds more like the Raptors thing where people just straight up assume Masai Ujiri is actually the GM. Yeah, but yeah, but it's it's Bobby Webster instead. I think that's a really good way to put it, and I don't think that's um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think like yeah, like the only reason he's not the general manager is because they're afraid to make a French speaking guy a non French speaking guy GM, right? Yes, that, I think that is absolutely the reason. And I don't know, like, I, I think it's a little silly. I, I've heard a couple of people argue about the culture and stuff. And obviously I don't understand that. Um, but I get like one way to get around that is by doing this exact thing, right? Where bringing in, you can bring in another voice in the room that does speak French. And we've talked about it as many times, you know, it's not bad to have different opinions in the room anyways. So, you know, I think this is the best possible way to get around something that uh, doesn't always make sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me either, which is hilarious because the solution is basically, hi, we think fans are going to demand a French-speaking GM, so what we're going to do is assume all of our fans are idiots and hire a non-French-speaking GM, give him a different title, and make him hire a French-speaking guy and call him the GM. And you know what, but like oddly enough, I think it it will work because (laughs) I got to be careful what I say here. But like, I think the people who really desperately care about having a French GM are probably dumb enough to fall in for that trap, you know? 
yeah, like if people think it's that big of a deal, it's probably not the people who want to maximize EV or whatever who care about that kind of thing. Yeah. And like, again, like, I don't know, even just in his opening press conference, he obviously tried speaking French and it was a disaster. It sounded about, it sounded like me trying to speak French, really. Um, But, you know, I, I saw a bunch of people that were like, oh, it's really good on him that he tried. That went a long way in the market. It's like, okay, like, I mean, if that's, sure. if that does go a long way. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, I guess the next step is here. Like, do you think this was a good hire? Um, obviously he was, uh, if people don't know Jeff Gordon, he was the guy who basically has built this current iteration of the Rangers. Uh, and then when Tom Wilson, Tom Wilson, the Rangers last year, they stepped away. Uh, the two sides parted. Um and it kind of sounded like, you know, Jeff Gordon didn't want to send out that. Remember the, how the Rangers sent out that whole like presser? Like they sent yeah. out a full letter being like, we demand that Tom Wilson be suspended for this like heinous act of violence or something like that. It kind of yeah, sounded like that really was the bad. splitting point. Yeah, like just the yeah. most cringiest thing in the world. Um, but it, it, like, it kind of felt like that was the splitting point between the two. Um, I, I'm curious to get your, because, I, you know, I am obviously very staunchly, anti not, not anti what the rangers built. i think they're overhyped and overrated quite a bit um i i go back and forth i think there's definitely worse hires they could make but at the same time it's it's the classic like this dude just got out of a job in hockey where it's like he didn't do a particularly amazing job he got very lucky in four things he did and the rest of his stuff was either mediocre to bad so it's like are you really telling me there's someone with no uh, gm experience that wouldn't have done a better job out there yeah, I'm pretty like Jeff Gordon is not gonna Peter Shirelli it. Like he's not active gonna be like an active terror to the team in the market. But you could do better, I would have to hope. Like, and the problem is the big the big his biggest issue in New York was a lack of an overall vision there, right? Like they decided they were tanking and then a year and a half later they made like six moves that implied they're going all in and they keep implying that despite the fact that the prospects they got while tanking have all miserably failed in the nhl thus meaning there's no second wave of depth coming so now they're stuck in an awkward sort of middle Uh, he's kind of just taking over an incredibly similar situation in montreal there are like differences on a per player basis or whatever but he's taking in a team that's way worse than it wants to be almost has no choice but to tank even though there's still some decent nhl pieces on this roster and he's going to have to accept that it's going to be bad for a little bit and then eventually turn it around i would be terrified he's going to do the exact same thing in montreal where he turns around way too early yeah and i mean like the other thing you know that i think is uh clouded his narrative is obviously and i don't know how much of this is on him or just you know bad luck or whatever but you know as you mentioned the prospects not turning out well that's what's happened in montreal for a decade it's like yeah that's also true you know so it's like well well, what are you expecting to change here and um yeah like i I don't know like and the lack of vision like how often is montreal kind of flip-flopped between like no, we're all in, and then it's like, no, we actually need a center. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, it's just like, they're not the exact same GM at all. Like, Bergeron was not afraid to make a massive trade and everything. Um, But it's not like, 
like usually when you step away from one guy, you go to a completely different style of guy. And this is maybe a little more um, fair in terms of coaching than it is GMs. But I find GMs are a similar way. If you have an old school kind of thinking or whatever, or a very out there brass GM, you go to one that like is on the other side of the scale. Usually once you fire the uh, first one and it's, you know, doesn't take as much risk, drafts for internally, um, you know, does, doesn't make the massive trade or whatever, does, does everything, you know, a little less flashy. Well, I would argue they just kind of got a guy who's very similar in, in Mark Bergevin. Yep. They went like Mark Bergevin. He was, um, I don't think he was great. I don't think he was the worst. He was just kind of meh, but what all any, he, he managed to smash some moves out of the park and he managed to do some horrible things as is going to happen with anyone, even if they're great at the job when they're there for that long. But yeah, he he had no long-term vision either. And it's so weird to me that they just did the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it kind of, you know, it does sound like obviously the owner came out and said, we're not afraid of a rebuild. So it does sound like they're trying to make a vision here. But again, you know, like we saw Jeff Gordon, literally the team he was working for sent out a letter telling fans they're rebuilding. And then a year later, signed with Tammy Prenair and, 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 you know, try and go all in. So, Truba yeah, keep, keep Ryder, re-sign Sabanajet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so um, it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. And, yeah, if for Bergevin, I mean, I, I go back and forth. I, I think, obviously, when you get that that run to the Stanley Cup really, really, really helps his legacy term in, in, in Montreal – um, if yep. they would have lost in five, like it looked like they probably should have to the Leafs last year, I think people probably look at his time there a lot differently. Um, yep. you know, like I, I think it's probably looked back as a guy who had one of the best goalies for two to three years, like literally a heart level goalie for two to three years and failed to surround him with any kind of talent over a full, not any kind, but you know, really failed to surround him with high end talent for a full decade. Yeah, and, like, this is kind of tough because timelines and, like, aging curves have a lot to do with it, but there's basically no argument the Montreal Canadiens are better than when he found them. Or See, even pe- people are trying to argue that they are. They're and absolutely not. I Yeah, I don't think so either, but, like, I, like it, it really depends. Unless you think Cole Caulfield is going to turn into a star and, like, Nick Suzuki, who's struggling this year, um, you know, suddenly becoming the one C at 22 is just going to turn around and become an, an elite one C. But like, you know, like, I, yeah, I, I really don't think they're in that much better of a position than when he found them. And, you know, um, some of that's, I think, hindsight bias, because uh, like people forget when he took them over, he had like it was just a freshly uh, drafted um, Galchenyuk, I believe, was on the roster, a young PK Subban and all and that stuff. It's like, exactly. And like people Gallagher. were saying the exact same stuff about those guys that they are about Caulfield and Suzuki now, but like people look back, it's like, well, yeah, yeah, Gilchenyuk, what do you expect him to do? It's like, no, 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 no. People were looking at Gilchenyuk as the rookie 30 goal scorer who was going to pop off the page. Like you can't just assume that Cole Caulfield is going to become a 30, 40 goal scorer because he had a good playoff run last year or whatever. And I I feel like people are leaning way too aggressively into that. And, and that's kind of where it's like, I go back and forth. I, he wasn't a disastrous GM by any means. Like he, you know, he's not the bottom five or whatever of like the Chiarelli, but there was a point in time where I think it was, he was at least close enough to it where I, I really don't understand the overwhelming praise for what he's done. And 
The other thing I would say is he had a lot of moves that turned out all right that I would say are bad bets with a good result, if that makes sense. Bad process, good outcome. Yes. Like even to this day, I think the Shea Weber thing is a bad process, good outcome. And even then, I think you can make the argument that it still wasn't that great of an outcome considering. They're about to pay him $8 million a year for five years to not play. Yeah. Now, who knows how much of that is covered by LTIR? And it, it, it really depends because, you know, I, I will take in the argument that, like, they probably knew that they weren't going to get hit with a cap hit if he retires or anything like that. But it just, like, even then, P.K. Subban helped the um, Preds to a Stanley Cup final in his peak. Weber was a part of it last year, a big enough part. But, um, you know, that's where it's like, I don't even know if it's fair to say they definitely won the trade. And even then, like, I feel like you do that trade five times over and, you know, there's a potential for disaster for that similar kind of thing, right? Like if P.K. Subban doesn't have back issues, which I would argue, I don't think the Canadians could really see coming when they traded him in his peak and he was completely healthy. If he doesn't develop back issues, who knows? Maybe he's still an elite defender to this day. And that trade looks way worse. Yeah, that was, I'm reasonably certain that was a negative expected value move, even though it, it at worst worked out too even for them. Yeah, and, and even the Max Pacioretty trade, that's fine in a vacuum if you're planning on rebuilding, but they traded with their captain leading goal scorer and then went, now we're still going to try and compete for playoffs. It's like those two things just don't really mesh together. Yeah, they just – and like Drew for Sergachev. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, uh, someone just shared in our one group chat today that um, since the trade, they had the same amount of points, those two. Really? Which like – yeah, oh, God. exactly. And like some of that, like obviously is uncontrollable stuff too. Obviously Drew and has had some injuries and had to take some time off this year, but um, still like, it's just like, there's no Drew was supposed to be their big centerman that they brought in and, and it failed. And um, I, I think the moves he made this summer were more indicative than maybe some of the other ones too. Like in terms of this team was still expected to compete this year. Or, you know, not, not for a cup, but for playoffs. And they let uh, Tatar walk for nothing on a reasonable contract who, you know, and they scratched Tatar all last playoffs, despite being a legitimate good top six forward. Uh, they let their number one center walk for nothing. And they just kind of naturally assumed that they could replace those guys with 32-year-old Mike Hoffman and a 22-year-old center who, you know, I, I like Suzuki, but let's be honest he hadn't proven that he's a, a legitimate one C up to this point. No, not even particularly close. It, and like, and it's I not like Suzuki, like Suzuki's doing pretty bad this year. I would be a little worried about ruining him if I was a Habs fan. Yeah. And, and even like, I, I got, I'm going to, after this, I'll stop harping on stuff, but like even just moves that look like they should have been bad and kind of worked out better. Like, Ben Sherratt is a name that they picked. Joel Edmondson. Like, these are guys that are now showing who they really are, but are guys that he openly picked up and signed to, you know, like, decent-sized contracts and had one good year where it's like it all kind of came together. But it's like, you do that over again, and they all have a bad year of this. This is exactly what the team looks like, except now you're just out from out underneath it. Yeah, exactly. And... You know, some of this is obviously just a GM just trying to do what he can because he knows he's not going to be there soon, which is fair enough. Like if 
I would do the same thing if, you know, my boss wasn't going to fight, if I knew my boss wasn't going to do anything about it. But, you know, like even just like the Jeff Petrie contract, like they got him under 6.25 for three more years until he's 37 years old. Jeff Petrie's struggling this year too. Like that, that is already to me probably a pretty concerning contract. Yep. It's just concern all around pretty much at this point. And like, they're so lucky they got that cup final trip out of it or else people would, his legacy would be like, so, so much worse. I would even say maybe even too poor if it wasn't for that because of the terrible shape this team is and how relatively liberal they accomplished outside of one magical run, which you can't take away from them. But when you're, not even projected as more than 50% to make the playoffs uh, in your own division next year, we're allowed to say, hey, that was just lucky. That wasn't a true talent thing. Even though it happened, let's use our heads about this. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, the NHL clearly does not see it that way because I don't know if you've seen this, but he's the front runner for another job that just opened up this week, and that would be the Vancouver Canucks GM role. He's a front runner for the Canucks job. Highly interested is what the report oh, was today. Hey. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So uh, I, obviously, if you didn't see it, uh, the Canucks made some changes this week too. Fired their coach, head coach Travis Green and their G, uh, GM uh, Jim Benning. A long time coming. Long, long, long time coming. Um, but, uh, they hire Bruce Boudreaux as their head coach to replace Green, which uh, I actually like. I think we're both probably like Bruce Boudreaux. Um, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, in terms of actual like talent available, I think that's a pretty solid option. Um, then that's yeah, it's, it's, for the Aquilinis, because even if Bruce Boudreaux never wins a game seven, they don't care about Stanley Cups, they just want free playoff games, <laughs> exactly. Game yeah, one, one round of playoffs is good enough for the gate revenue for them. Um, but yeah, so I think it's unclear what they're doing at the GM role. I'm assuming the AGM's taking over for now. Um, but yeah, like I already saw that Bergevin was interested and he was, you know, the. Canucks were interested in him um, as one of the names already kind of popping up here, which is kind of insane to me. Um, I like, there's no, almost nothing to say about the uh, um, firing of Benning. Like, yeah, it was a long time coming. It was well deserved by any objective metric. Uh, they're one of the worst teams in the league over a long period of time, despite the fact that they hit massively on a bunch of superstar ELCs. That's impressive, yeah. difficult to do. Yeah. Um, like, I guess, I don't know. Like, I just, I really don't know where this team goes. We've talked about them so much where it's almost like, I don't want to just keep repeating everything. I think another, I think a really interesting thing that I want to get your opinion on too is, you know, what do you take from like Travis Green from for this era of, you know, his resume? Do you think, I mean, Stanley Chell, he's going to find his way back eventually. Do you think he's a good coach, bad coach, just kind of in that middle range that doesn't make an aggressive difference one way or the other? Um, you know, wh- wh- where are you with him? Because when he started, I thought he was a, a pretty solid coach, you know, like he got a lot out of a pretty bad Canucks team at the beginning of his career. But he's like, when you're not even getting good Pedersen, like that's kind of kind of fall on the coach as well, right? Well, yeah, that's why it raises a tough question. Like, on Travis Green's way out the door, uh, the most recent kind of taste in our mouth is biggest struggles of Pedersen's career, uh, 
Quinn Hughes was like actively bad last year. Like, I don't know. It's and it's tough too, because I don't know what a league average coach looks like in Vancouver given this roster, because the roster is objectively bad. And that's Jim Benning's fault, not Travis Green's. And then the only useful comparison with Travis Green is going to be relative to Bruce Boudreaux, who we believe is like a top five coach in the league. So even though we're about to see somebody else in Travis Green's shoes, which was the big unknown, it's going to be an unfair comparison now. So he's just an impossible guy to evaluate. Yeah. And, you know, um, obviously there's people who are a little better plugged into the market than we are that, you know, can dissect a, li- a little bit of this stuff to go deeper on it. But um, yeah, like I, I'm always torn because, you know, the roster is bad. There's no doubt about it, but um, this four group still kind of underperformed regardless. You know, like I, I like this four group and it just seemed like a bit of a mess all year. And, you know, but at the same time, like you can use the excuse that this defense course sucks so much ass that it's like, what do you expect this like forward group to do when they're getting fed the puck from Tucker Pullman and Tyler Meyer 50 minutes a game? Like, so I don't know. I'll be interested. It's the NHL. Like he's obviously going to get another job. That's a given, but I I am kind of curious to see when and from who, if he has to go, you know, the AHL route, does he get an assistant uh, job and and then get promoted eventually or if it's just straight back to a head coach in a year or two or whatever when you know someone else someone else comes available or you know gets fired or whatever yeah also the Cox are a great example of this there's this weird blind assumption among some people that just because people aren't in hockey they must be the smartest ones they let Jim Benning take give up a top 10 pick to get Oliver Ekman Larson, Connor Garland was there too. They owe Oliver Ekman Larson $50 million still into his 30s for six more years. They let Jim Benning do that when he was 20 bad games away from being fired. That's insane. It it happens all the time. And the worst part about that is everyone when that trade happened when, oh, this is Jim Benning clearly not giving a shit because he knows he's not going to be here when this backfires. Yep. This this, this is all hazard the trade. Yeah, this is him just chucking a deep ball into triple safety downfield or in triple coverage downfield because if it gets picked, he doesn't care. His time is over. If it somehow gets caught and, you know, this trade works out in spades, great. Then it's it actually works out for him and he extends his time and doesn't have to worry about the consequences because there are none. Yeah, like just absolutely nuts. Yeah, it, it just it blows my mind. Um, you know, and we, and we see that all the time in hockey too. Yeah, it's a pretty common thing. The OEL one's just especially egregious because they it's so much money for so long and they gave up a top pick too. Like just impressively yeah. poorly run organization. And for the fans, hopefully a uh, new management group looks a lot better. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I, I hope they um you know find someone who can help turn this around because uh, obviously hockey's better when uh uh you know the uh connects are good so um, yep. let's go to the last firing I think that I have down here and that's uh, Alan Vigneault uh, got a can from the Philadelphia Flyers today um, they're in the midst of a nine game losing streak which I didn't even realize to be honest I knew they weren't doing good but I didn't realize it was that bad uh, I mean this was in Vigneault's third year with the team an eight game losing streak they're one seven and two in their last ten uh, they have 20 points in 22 games, which is second last in the division, only ahead of the Islanders who are on 11 game an L11. Uh, yeah. With 15 points in 20 games. Um, 
this is just kind of par for the course for a Vigneault team, right? Like comes in, I think it was two years ago. They have a pretty good season where they overperform. Last year, I would argue they didn't play horribly, but Carter Hart absolutely sucked. And then uh, this year, you know, they kind of, by the sounds of he lost locker room, but the team sucked as well, uh, despite actual good goaltending that could still only get them to under point per game. Yep, this is a bad team. Also, this is this is one where I feel pretty confident that it does it, it almost won't matter who comes in next. I don't think this team's turning it around. Yeah, a hundred percent. And they a couple of years ago, the big thing with Philly was they were kind of between two cores. They had that Couturier young core and the Giroux older core. They didn't really know what to do. Well, they decided to do nothing. And now it just looks like they're destined for, they have slightly just enough players to avoid tanking and they're destined for, you know, eighth last or whatever. Yeah. Like they should really look at probably trading Drew this year and, you know, JVR has been a mess, but retain on JVR and see what you can get for him. But it's a little ugly because yeah, like Couturier is 28 and has an eight year contract just kicking in next year. Granted, is it 7.75? I just, but like, I don't see them trading him. No, he's, he's there and that's fine. You're going to want somebody there on the other side. But John Kevin Curry. Hayes is there for four more years at seven. Yeah. Cam Atkinson's got three at 5.8. You could probably move that contract. And then it's like, what do you do with like the Konechny who is 24 has five more or four more, three more years. Sorry. At 5.5. Um, obviously Couturier is 28. Um, Joel Farabee's 21. You probably keep him. Morgan Frost is 22, but it's not like Morgan Frost. Like he's on emergency loan. It's not like he's lighting it up. Um, Provorov is 24. Sandheim's 25. Uh, you know, Ristolainen, they shouldn't keep anyways, but they're probably going to double down considering they just gave up a first for him. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see what they do. Or sorry, maybe it was a second for Ristolainen. No, it was a first in last year's draft, wasn't it? Um, I'm really curious to see what they do because it's like, if they keep like if they have to rebuild and they keep let's say anyone let's say they keep Couturier and then anyone 24 and younger so that's Konechny, uh Faraby Provorov like it kind of feels like they're gonna unless they hit on like an elite level talent in the next two years it feels like they're just setting themselves up to be in the spot they were three years ago where by the time they're done rebuilding Couturier is like 32 Konechny's 27, 28, and like by the time their new draft picks are good, those guys are into their 30s, and they're stuck in between two cores again. Yep, that's what they seem destined for. And like, you kind of touched on this. What does a good coach, what does the Philadelphia Flyers with a good coach look like? I'm confident it is better than obviously they're on pace for like 78 points or whatever. Them with a great coach does look better than that. But are they are they a playoff team then? Probably, but like the eighth seed, you know? Yeah. And like not this year, probably at all. No, it's, it's the classic. Tomorrow. It, it's probably what they've been for the past decade, which is a team that misses playoffs one year, makes the playoffs next year, is a threat to maybe win around, then misses the playoffs the next year, and then gets the high end of variance the next year, wins the division, wins around, and, and lo- or loses in the first round or something like that. You know, like it's just, it, it kind of feels like they're destined for that. And that's what they've been all this time. And, Granted, um, you know, one thing I didn't think they they obviously couldn't see coming was Ryan Ellis being on LTIR this year. He hasn't yeah. played at all, and that's a big loss because, you know, their biggest problem has been defensively, and he's, you know, their best defenseman. Um, but that being said, like, 
we kind of came into this year and we're like, well, your blue light, you, you, you identified the problem last year, A, incorrectly, I would argue. Uh, your, your problem last year was you literally could not find the save, but you identified yep. that and went, let's go get Martin Jones and then let's go get Rasmus Ristolainen as our defenseman to fix, as 50% of the defenseman to fix, you know, our blue line. And like, as much as I like to illustrate as a win now move, you can't double down on that by going, yes, Rasmus Ristolainen is the other piece we need because, you know, obviously it's not all on him, but like this kind of outcome is what you get when you trade for players of Rasmus Ristolainen's ill. Yep, and you see, even if there's a bunch of things that lead to it, you lose the ability to to point to those relevant excuses you do have when the things you do control, you did shit like sign, get Rasmus Ristolainen for $5 million in cap space. Yeah, so I don't know. I'll be interested to see you know where this team goes. Uh, Mike Yo's their head coach right now. Um, they promote... I. Did they just hire him? No, he was an assistant coach. They hired him as an assistant coach uh, in 2019. Uh, and he's been there the whole time. So I would assume he probably just plays it out as the interim head coach till the end of the year. Like with a coach, you don't really need to be in a rush to find someone. And again, like this, this year kind of feels lost already for them. Yeah, pretty much. That's the downside of that competitive division. When you start that horribly and you have to leapfrog four teams that all don't suck. Good luck, even if you it, are hot oh, as hell. Yeah, exactly. And if anyone's wondering why Mike Yo sounds familiar, he is the guy that uh, absolutely ran the St. Louis Blues in the ground to the point where when he got fired and they brought in someone that wasn't him, they went and won the Stanley Cup. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I feel like we're probably not going to see a team with a great head coach this year. Um, you know, he also had a stint with the Wild from 2011 to 2016 in there. Um, just perennial sneak into the eighth seed and lose in the first round uh, years of their franchise, which I guess you could argue is most of the franchise, but um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't expect much from this team. I think, especially because it's just like, even if you get some regression in terms of your play, how much like Carter Hart has been one of the better goal, or at least he started as one of the better goalies this year. He's down to a nine 11 save percentage, but like, I don't even know how much of that is him. And just, he literally doesn't have any help. Yeah, that'll be a tough one. I feel like Carter Hart's kind of destined to be a guy too that people just are like a lot irrationally willing willing to write off everything that goes wrong no matter what. So like he's gonna be an annoying person to evaluate going forward. Yeah, he kind of dropped off in goal saved above expected, actually, too. He's at right above zero. Uh or sorry, above average. Above expected, he's at 4.43, which is 16th in the league. Um little higher. Uh, it's about uh, if you put a game sample on it of 15 or more uh he becomes 15th in the league or 14th in the league sorry so um yeah i I don't know like it's i i want to say this team needs to rebuild but everything they've done just like signifies they don't want to do that no they clearly don't get on it given their offseason moves and like i don't know because like i i'm always i'm usually pretty against like the I get why teams want to rebuild on the fly. I just feel like that's such a hard way to do it and actually like put yourself in a good position to win a cup. Yep. It's not easy. The only way you can generally do it is if you have superstars that have like a down year or you just get randomly goalied. And then those superstars bounce right back up. 
by yeah, just like, absolutely destroying age curves. Tampa Bay in 2017, 2016, yeah. 17. Like they missed the playoffs by a point, but they sold at the deadline. They sold yeah. Boyle two. Yeah, everyone was hurt, and yeah. it was just not a good year for them. And they sold Boyle to the Leafs and ended up losing out to the Leafs by a point in playoffs. But like obviously the next year in, in 2018, they went to the conference finals again. Like you need that type of team, and I don't think that's what Philly is. No. But like unless Sharu is like the best player on earth tomorrow or something. Well, and wow. like oddly enough, Sharu's one of the only pieces they could trade. Yep. Oh yeah. And you could probably get a haul for Giroux, which would and, kickstart the and I, th- I think they should. Like, I, I think if you try to trade Drew at the deadline, you get automatically a first round pick this year. Yep. You get a first and a good prospect. Like, yeah. Being, right? I think if you retain, like, JVR's had a miserable year, but if you retain half on JVR, you know, you probably still get like a second or a third. Yeah. You still get something at the deadline. He's a quote unquote top six forward. Yeah. He only is two goals, four assists, six points in 22 games. Like, he's really struggled this year, but. You know, you could, I'm sure you could sell it to like, if, if you get some teams getting JVR at uh, 3.5 instead of seven, you know, they could probably take it. And I don't even think that would be the worst flyer to take if you're uh, like, I don't know if Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh probably doesn't have the cap space to do it, but like, like a team like the Penguins, right. Where it's like, you could probably use the extra little push Um, or, you know, even like the hurricanes, I think wouldn't even be that bad where it's like, you could put JVR on your fourth line if you really want. Um, Granted, they don't have a cap space either. They're over as well. Uh, but a team like that, you know, where it's like, you, you probably don't, like Tampa's not going to be able to do that. But like, if you have enough where it's like, Calgary is another team, maybe where it's like, you can use them a little farther down the lineup. And, you know, there's a chance you get the high end of variance, which is what you kind of need to become a true cup contender anyways. That's the team I would look at to try and trade like a JVR to. Yeah, that'd be a perfect kind of fit. And you can, he's got the big like Sam Gagne potential where he rediscovers his life on a team's second power play unit or whatever. Yeah. Um, but like other than that, like Nate Thompson, you're going to get like a sick round pick for, um, you know, that's the, the, the blue line wrist, wrist line you should trade. I have a bad feeling they're going to double down, but then like Keith Yandel and Justin Braun, like you're just not getting much for these guys. So, yeah, it's just a weird team and just purgatory. It, it really is. Like, and I don't know the way out. Like, because, you know, we say hard reset, but I, I get why teams don't do that and why it would be hard to do that, especially with how little cap space everyone around the league has. Yep. That does not make things easier, although it probably makes it more valuable to be to be a team that does have cap space and to be the Arizona Coyotes who take on shit contracts or whatever, because there's less teams willing to do it kind of thing. 100%. And like, and that's the thing, if like Philly could convince some team to take um, JVR at 3.5, but also take like 5 million and just kind of like not great money back the other way. Yeah. Um, like it, it, well, yeah, for, the Pens, makes- for the Pens, for example, if they could somehow come and again, I don't know if the Pens would even want to get rid of them because they, they just acquired this dude. But if they were like, we'll give you JVR and half retain, take Michael Matheson's contract back the other way. Like you could probably work out a deal like that. Right. But yeah, who knows? Um, so uh, we've got a couple other things. We've got a signing, which is a uh, little rare for this time in the season, but uh, Jack Hughes signs in 
Uh, Eight-year deal at $8 million, 64, the nice clean eight by eight. I signs it the day he returns back to the lineup. Obviously, he played two games and then got hurt. Um, he's been back for three now. He's got three holes, one assist, and four for four points in five games this year. Um, interesting contract, I would say. Uh, what, what's your take on it? This is uh, this is kind of an interesting one. We've talked about this on a few contracts. Again, there's a big difference between an above slash below market value contract and a positive expected value contract. Uh, Jack Hughes has done nothing, absolutely nothing, even remotely close to deserving this contract in the NHL, minus being picked first overall. Uh, on the flip side, we talked about this in the summer, Jack Hughes is probably the most likely player in the entire NHL who isn't currently a superstar to become a superstar. So I would still rather have this contract than not on my team. Yeah. It's one of those, like you file under, we always say, if you're going to pay people pay for their potential, not what they've done. Yep. This is what the devils are doing. And they're betting on the future. Yeah. And I, I don't really have a problem with that. You know, um, Obviously, yeah, it's great if you can get your superstar locked up for a disgustingly low deal where it's like it helps your contract for the next six years, seven years, because he's at five million dollars or whatever. But in reality, you know, like, A, that's just not what the marketplace is turning into anymore with these guys. And B, it doesn't really matter because, again, like if uh, if Jack Hughes isn't worth eight million dollars going forward, this team is screwed anyways yeah yeah like this team's not a cup contender if he's not worth at least eight million dollars going forward and yeah it's the same idea with nico his year where it's like if he's not worth 7.25 it doesn't matter it really it just does not matter because this is your whole like this is the core of your team you're building around and yeah i think there's a lot worse bets to make um it, it is a risk though like i i think you know i saw people like when it came out being like, Oh, slam dunk. He's going to like grow into this. Like this is definitely worth it. There is legitimate risk with this contract. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like if he doesn't put this together and you basically just signed glorified drew to this contract, uh, you're fucked. Yes. But like you're, you're screwed either way. Right. And then, so it's like, it, it's a smart risk. It's a risk I would take, but it, you know, people were kind of like, I don't know. Like I saw a couple of people online were like, this is like, brilliant like slam dunk there's no way he doesn't hit this it's like all right let's pump the brakes a little this guy's played 120 nhl games that has like 56 points or something like that so you know yep. let, let's chill a little bit on it but um now, yeah, the side, this kind of a contract is how you have the present day alex barkov contract you gotta do shit like this yes yeah and that's very true too where it's like you know maybe in five years the cap has escalated by seven million dollars and you know the top stars are getting paid 14 million per year and you know you have jack hughes at eight and that looks like an absolute steal yep if he if he gets as good as those passing stats he has implies this could be the best contract in the entire league two years from now yeah so um yeah no i i don't mind the deal at all i think there it's it's important to note that there is risk but it's one of those contracts where it's like the risk is so worth it because you know, if you cowered out with it and bridged him or whatever, and he really just didn't turn out to be anything, you're, you're, you're fucked. Like there's really nothing your, your franchise can do in terms of, you know, trying to take that next step to be a cup contender then anyways. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I don't really, I don't know. Do you have any other 
takeaways on that than that, but or on the contract than that, but no, I don't think so. It was an interesting enough contract. I kind of like when teams go for big risks like that. Be yeah, interesting to follow either way. Again, like I'd, I'd much rather see that deal than you know some twenty-eight-year-old on July first being signed to that for like seven million dollars. Yeah, you know. So you know, if you're going to spend your money, at least go do that. And like, ironically enough, that I, I am saying that, and they just went and said last summer they signed Dougie Hamilton to like an, a seven by nine or whatever. But um, you know, I. I go back and forth because I think at the time of the deal, I kind of said it doesn't make a ton of sense for them just in terms of, you know, the long range. But at the same time, if you're betting on a Jack Hughes jump in the next year or two, you're just hoping that Dougie Hamilton will be good until he's 31, 32 years old and worth well over the $9 million. So, yeah. Yeah. You need to be good relatively soon, which again, like Jack Hughes breaking out this year is almost the only thing that matters for the devil's season. Yeah. Cause what, what was the last time the devils were legitimately good? They had the one year where, Taylor Hall dragged them in the playoffs. That's probably the Corsi gods who made the cup finals forever ago. Probably, right? The last good team they had would have been them anyways. Yeah, I don't know if they even made the playoffs the year after that. So I think they did. I don't don't think so either. And then I don't think they did the year after that because then Lou jumped ship to Toronto. So, yeah, yeah, I I don't know. So, yeah, they they need to get good and soon. So it'll be interesting to watch. They're a pretty exciting team to watch as well. Like, and they have some young talent. Uh, Dawson Mercer's up right now, too. Um, obviously, we've been talking about Ty Smith for a couple of years now. Um, uh, you know, So they, they have some names that are they're becoming a team that is at least fun to watch again, um, which is good. Yeah, they're finally interesting again for once. Yeah. Let's move on to a couple of guys that got waived now. Um, well, let's start with the, you know, not, not great story. Uh, Vander Kane, you know, obviously just so much to get into. We've talked about it. Uh, oftentimes, but uh, the Sharks waived him, and uh, I'm not mistaken, did they terminate his contract, or is he just sitting in the minors? He's just sitting in the minors. I think he's just, yeah, because he, he wouldn't agree to a termination, which he would have to. Um, no one claimed him, obviously. I There was a video that went around. I don't know if you saw it. It was like, I think it was him waving yep. a gun around in his garage and, like, pointing at, like, his ex-girlfriend. And yep. it's just like... Oh my God. Like it's getting to the point with so much evidence coming out. I'm almost surprised the team hasn't gone to the league and be like, we have like legal reasons to terminate this contract. Yeah. I don't know what goes into that, but assuming there are legal opt-outs, you have to imagine they're at least close to it. Yeah. Like they probably, they at least have to be exploring it. And and maybe it comes this summer because, you know, the team's got $3.6 million in cap space right now. They're not really expected to, to compete this year anyways, you know, so it's not like they're really going to be adding anything in cap space. So it's like, let's just get through this year. Let's try not to have this be a distraction. We'll figure it out in the summer, but like, yeah, like just given the sheer amount of stuff that has kind of started to surface, it's like one more incident you figure it's got to be like, yeah, there's the legal reason that they have it. Just no doubt that they can terminate this contract. Yeah. And he's just, just seems like such an irredeemable human being. Yeah, it's to the point where it's like I genuinely don't want to see him play hockey ever again. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if he will, to be honest. Like, he's 30 already. It's I think, you know, maybe his only saving grace might be that because he had that last – like, his last season was actually good. Um, last year, he had 49 points in 56 games. If he would have kind of kept trending where it's like he had 30 points in 56 games last year, I don't think there's a chance anyone would take a flyer on him. No. Whereas now he might 
Yeah, I could definitely. Like, as recently as two years ago, we still heard teams were kind of interested in, like, Slava Voinov, so, who I don't even think was legally allowed in the United States. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. You know, unfortunately, I wouldn't put anything past hockey teams, but, um, yeah, it's to the point, obviously, like, I don't know. It, it's tough with Kane because there's it's it's all alleged stuff, right? And but there's just there's been so much stuff out where it's like, at the very least, this guy doesn't seem like a good locker room person. And for a league and teams that just love to chant that over and over and over again, it's like there's got to be at least some kind of red flag there, even before you dig into like really what happened. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, the other player that got waived was Matt Murray of the Ottawa Senators. Um, a bit of a shit show there as well. Obviously, less uh, no, not personal reasons. It's just he sucks at what he does. Um, a little mean way to put it. A little mean, but uh, like the dude just he has not been good. He since getting to Ottawa in 27 games last year, he posted an 893, which he actually saved at the end of last year. He was at like an 860 for a while this year in six games. He's posted up an 890 as last year in Pittsburgh he had an 899 over 38 games played. Like the dude has just been a disaster. Um, there's just no way around it. Yep. It's been horrible and the team has can't afford to make such a mistake. And yet they did. Yeah. And you know, like, again, I will be covering this more on my son's podcast, which I'll probably have out this week. So, you know, I, I don't need to go super deep on it in this podcast, but it's just one of those things where it's like, no one looked good at this situation because Murray probably deserved the demotion, but I don't know if you saw, but the team just like did like Pierre Dorian didn't tell him he was getting waived until like 72 hours after he talked to him finally. But I like, that. Yeah, Matt Murray found out through his agent and like no one, like neither Pierre Dorian or Pierre McGuire reached out to him or any, like no one in the front office was like, hey, by the way, we're waiving you. He found out from his agents that he was placed on waivers that day. Hmm. So like that's a no, shitty way to go about it. Yeah, that's tough. And it's just All like... You have to do a heads up. That's such a simple like thing to do. Yeah, exactly. And like this is like, there's been a trend now of like Dorian like being literally afraid of confrontation. Um and it's just like yeah it's like this is your job dude like what come on but yeah that's tough it, it's one of those things where i i really like i get it like you just it's a last ditch effort to kind of send him down to the ahl hope he can get some confidence back and be like an okay goalie i've seen enough of him where it's obviously goalies are voodoo anyone can go on a run but anyone who was expecting him to be like a 9-11, 9-12 solid goalie that just kind of average, I, that, that's gone. I, I'm At this point, I'm just happy if he could even be a mediocre backup, I think. Yeah, just getting like him being an NHL player would be good at this point. It's pretty sad, too, because he looks so good or looked so good so young. Yeah, and like that's the thing where it's like I feel like people are starting to circle back and and, you know, almost – I don't know if revisionist history is the right word, but kind of where it's like people are like, oh yeah, that they're so stupid for trading them. It's like the trade was fine. They gave up a second and like a C minus level prospect for him. It was signing him to a $25 million deal before he had played a single game coming off the worst year of his career. That made no sense. Yeah, that's tough. Like, Especially because this is a team that doesn't have extra cap space. Or no like way. money is cash. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and, and that's why they did it because they were so scared that he was going to bounce back that, you know, he was two years away from UFA or whatever that they might like lose him. It's like, if, if this is your line of thinking, you're so screwed before you even begin. Yep. Yes, it is. You cannot possibly survive if you're spending every minute scared of your players working out. Yeah. Like, and you have, you have to pay them more. And like, the, the thing that I don't understand, especially because the day this contract was signed, Markstrom signed a six by six coming off like a Vesna worthy season. Yeah. If Matt Murray, if you signed him and he played 30 of the 56 games last year, posted a 9-15, carried them to the first round of the playoffs or whatever, in you know, a weak Canadian division, how much more money does he cost over a four to six year deal than 6.25? Yeah, I have no idea. I, I would argue about one mil, 1.25 mil at most. I bet you yep. the most they would have had to pay was 7.5. And even then, I bet you there were, you probably could have still gotten at 6.5 for five or something like that. Something like that, probably. And, and that's like the the highest of what he would have performed. Like, I just, I don't see what the risk was or what the, the rush was to get him under that deal. And, and everyone, well, not everyone, there was a bunch of deluded Suns fans. And that's the thing that pisses me off too is now, the people were like, oh, you, you're just a hater. Like, this is going to turn out great. This is awesome. This is smart. The, the people that are saying that now have turned around and be like, man, everyone saw this coming. It's like, no, 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 no. Like two years ago, everyone was drinking the Kool-Aid of this organization. And whether you want to admit or not. Buying into their ownership group is the most confusing thing in the world to me. Yeah, well, it's just like, I don't know. Like, I've complained about it enough for it. It's like, I get it. Like, you don't want to be negative all the time, but like, what is this organization giving you to be positive about? Yeah. And there's also this thing, too, where like, part of cheering the reason why fans of bad teams have a lot, seem to have a lot of fun on Twitter is like, they just dunk on their team or whatever. Like, you can be self aware and still not spend every day pouting. And that is what a lot of like the send sickos is what the last year turned into. Right. And like, yeah. I do admit that and for sure, but yeah, like last summer was the most uh, like the, not this past one, the one heading into the shortened season was the most unbearable time in terms of like questioning anything the team had done because they just, they were fresh off of two top five picks, three and five. Um, and you know, they, everyone was like, Oh, let's go in played in like 250 days or whatever. And if you even suggested that throwing away, like, second round picks for Derek Stepan and then signing Matt Murray to a massive contract and just dressing Eric Branson was probably not the greatest uh, recipe for success. People are like, shut the hell up. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just a hater. And then they start the season two, 12 and one or whatever. Oh, 10 and one. I, I don't one. No, they won the first game. So it would have been one, 10 and one. And it's just like, okay. Yeah. Like this is what people were trying to say in the summer right now. Granted this summer, I think people were a lot more disappointed and fairly so. And, um, you know, I had actually argued they've been unlucky this year. You know, they're um, they're six, five, 15 and one, but they started four, 15 and one this year. Somehow a worse start than they had last year. Um, but I would argue that's almost more obviously not like I don't expect them to be a cup contender or anything. But COVID absolutely ran through this team and just they've had some bad luck as well with players not being in the lineup and being hurt. But it's still, it's just disappointing because they really, they haven't done anything to set themselves up for success. For So when the success doesn't happen, I have a hard time giving them an out. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they've never done any of the easy things they can do for themselves. 
Exactly. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'll probably dive into it more on my other podcast if people want to go listen to that. Um, I got two more things here quickly before we wrap it up. Uh, we're about 50-minute mark. Uh, one, uh, actually, let's get into the news. Okay, so the Toronto Maple Leafs and Winnipeg Jets played last night. Uh, we're recording on Monday. We have the one suspension, but not the Spezza one. Uh, absolutely just, just brutal game in terms of uh, – dirty hits and stuff like that. Um, Piot Neon needs Sandine, which caused Sandine to leave. He's now has a time ter- a timetable of out two to three weeks, which uh, is honestly better than it looked like he needed help off the ice. It looked really bad. Uh, and then, you know, his retaliation to that, um, Pionk was going to clear a puck, dives, and Spencer went knee to the head or just maybe just missed the head, but it was right near the head of Pionk. Um, I don't think he like Spezza was trying to knee him in the head, but it was clear he was going for a retaliation hit and the guy was in a vulnerable position. Uh, somehow that didn't get called either. And the refing so was now, oh, like the refing was just brutal. And so now we, uh, Peon got suspended for two games for his knee on knee. Spezza has an in person hearing, which probably means about five, maybe, and it opens it up to more than five. But I would, my guess is probably five when it comes out. Um, Leaf fans have been losing their mind today because they have a guy hurt uh, and they're going to get the longer suspension here. As bad as the refing, as bad as like, there's no excuse for Sandine not getting a, I don't think they called the Sandine thing anything either, or the, um, the Pionk knee on knee, anything either, which that should have, that should have been five in a game automatic right away. Um, As bad as the the refing was in that uh, uh, whole thing, Jason Spezza absolutely deserves more suspension, a game suspended than Neil Pionk. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, we have enough information about Jason Spezza so we can be confident he's not a dirtbag. The game happens quickly. I assume Jason Spezza did not want to knee the guy in the head. Uh, but you are responsible for your own body, and that's the kind of situation you put yourself in. Yeah, and it's even more painful when it's very clear that you were retaliating against something that just happened that didn't get called. And yep, I said it on Twitter today. I don't think Jason Spezza jumped over the boards going, I'm going to need this dude in the head and try yeah, and end I'm going to end his career yeah. here. Like Jason but Spezza obviously not doing that. He did jump over. The, like, I think it's pretty obvious that he did jump over the board and he thinking any chance I get, I'm going to line this dude up and try and make him pay for what he did to my player. And yeah. because of that, you know, he wasn't thinking and he, you know, he hit a guy in a vulnerable position. And again, that doesn't excuse Pionk's knee on knee. That is a dirty play as well. If you want to argue Pionk, that, does... Pionk, it's the ref's fault. Pionk was even in the game, but yes, and yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, you. Sh- but it's like you got to play the ball where it lies, or whatever. Like Pionk was in that game. That doesn't make these things uh, okay. Even though it feels infuriating to watch Sandine get hurt like that. Exactly, and, and I will say, I wish that there was more blame. Not blame. Uh, I wish there was a punishment for that refing crew as well, in terms of. They yeah. were the very direct reason that that game got so out of hand that there is no excuse that two guys are getting suspended. Another one's hurt. Even just like Matthews got mugged for 50 seconds and somehow got like matching penalties. There is no excuse that the game should like, they let the game get that out of hand that they should be completely let off the hook with, you know, no re- re- repercussions at all. Um, yeah. And again, like I, it's hard because I don't know what those repercussions are. Like, do you take them off the next game? Like you can't suspend the rest for a game, but like, and, and maybe, you know, maybe they are secretly taking it down and 
Um, you know, they don't get playoff games or something because of this, but like the fact that, you know, the rest so clearly let the game get out of hand and, you know, people like the, sorry, the Pionk injury, like the, the Spencer hit on Pionk could have ended up so, so, so much worse. Yep. Knees and, to the head with skates on are really bad. Yeah. And like, you know, I saw a lot of people comparing it to the Tavares thing, and it's like, it looks it it looks similar enough because obviously it was a guy falling down, the guy originally the, the the guy who hit the person in the head wasn't originally obviously trying, but the big difference was Spezza was making the hit, and it's just like, the fact that you allowed the game to get to that where someone felt they had to go out and try and make that hit should be on your shoulders. And again, I don't know how you punish that, but you absolutely need to punish that. And you know, I think it's fair. Like, especially gets five, six, seven games. I think that's fair because how many times have we said the league needs to punish intent, not result? And it kind of pisses me off that, you know, they don't always, like, it feels like they flip-flop back and forth like crazy. Um, yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people come out when Spezza gets a big one, they are going to be pissed off and say, all I want is consistency. And they're going to have a point, but just because you've made mistakes in the past isn't a good reason to be wrong in the future. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I, I I wasn't shocked that people, obviously fans are going to be emotional. There was people taking it way, way too far. Like there was literally one that was like hoping he was basically like, I don't care if we lose eight, nothing, like go take out purposely injure the top four players for Winnipeg next game. And it's just like, relax. Don't don't that. It's not, uh, it's not Blake Wheeler's fault or whoever was, sitting on the bench yeah like uh, we'll gladly crowdfund your fine it's like literally like tear ligaments we'll gladly crowdfund your fine go seek help if that is your thought process literally go seek help yep so don't do that but um yeah like it'll be i don't know because it'll definitely and then granted the leafs I don't want to like say that. I don't mean this isn't like they're soft or whatever, but we have seen times where it's like an old school team might try to answer quote unquote, answer the bell with a fight or something more often. Whereas like this Leafs team in the past couple of years, hasn't exactly done that. But I think it'll absolutely be where it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle Clifford is in the lineup next time these two teams play Wayne Simmons will definitely obviously be dressed as long as he's healthy. And, you know, like you're just, the league is asking for trouble when they, they don't, they, they do shit like this. Yep, so. they, uh, and it sucks because they're not the ones who have to actually face the consequences either. You know it's going to be like Shifley or someone like that who just gets wrong. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I don't know. It, it's good that Sandine obviously isn't hurt um, long-term. It's good that Pionk isn't hurt long-term, you know, even though he did a really stupid thing as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, just an absolute mess of a situation where it, it just would it literally would have been avoidable. And, like, I get it. Like, I think the ref said they didn't see it. I – I didn't watch the game, so I don't know if the rest were, like, where they were on the ice. You do miss calls at times, but, like, man, a five, an obvious five-minute need. Because the guy was cut, like, I'm pretty sure he was cutting to the net, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Like, it's not like this yeah. was just behind the play or anything. Yeah, it's not like it was – exactly. It's not like it was behind the play. It was pretty, pretty obvious from all the replays and stuff I've seen. I didn't actually watch it live, but – it seems like something that should have been visible to me. Um, obviously, the game's fast. Reffing's very difficult. There's a lot going on. 
maybe maybe they did genuinely miss it, but it seems unlikely to me. Yeah, but you know what? Like at the same time, and, and I get like I obviously know nothing anywhere close to the NHL level, but I've rough hockey for six years, and like I said, it's a fast enough game. If you you know, as a player, if you do a bad job, you get sat in the NHL. You're at the highest possible peak. If you suck at what you do, you get demoted. You get you know, like you don't get a new contract. Refs have to be the same way. Like this is the highest part of their profession. They can't just you know, like oh, the game's fast. It cannot be an excuse night after night after night, which it feels like it is at times this, this year and you know, past couple of years too. Yeah, exactly. Like actions should have consequences. Yeah, and. Again, like you mentioned before, consistency. And I get it. Consistency is hard because there's, what, I don't know, 100 NHL refs or whatever, 90 NHL refs, I don't know, like 80, something like that, right? Big number, whatever it is. Yeah. It's probably – actually, you know, now that I think of it because it's two per game, you can only have maximum 15 games a night. I bet you it's probably like 50 or 60. But still, like – and then a couple guys in reserve or whatever. But a big enough number where it's like that is hard to have the same standard for every single guy because every single person is different. But – it's even just like, I don't like, did you see that Connor McDavid hit that got called last night? He got five in a game for boarding where it's like that. I'm fine if you want to call that boarding, but that hit happens every night and never gets called. Like Alex Ovechkin absolutely ran Tim Stutzler into the boards a couple of weeks ago on a way worse hit than that. And wasn't even called two minutes for checking like or uh, charging or anything like that. Like, so I don't know. Like, it's just, you want consistency. I don't know. It's hard, like with that many people. And, you know, obviously it is a fast game, but it being a fast game can't be the excuse we hear time after time after time, you know? Yeah. Eventually you're a ref at the top of your field. Like you have to, you have to get a right or there's going to be consequences. Exactly. So um, the only other thing I want to get into quick with you was uh, the Jake DeBrusque rumors are surfacing again for what feels like the fourth year in a row. Um, Jake DeBrusque is officially asked out for a trade uh, at this point, but um, you know, Boston said they'll work with him, try and find him, but they need him playing right now because a, they're going through COVID B. I don't know if you've seen this, their whole AHL team's going through COVID. So they can't even call guys up. I have not seen that. Yeah, they have like thir- 13 AHL players on the COVID list at one point. So it's like they can't even call guys up from Providence and they're going through injury or they've been going through injuries and COVID themselves as well. So um, it's uh interesting development here. Uh, I'm curious to see what they do. He's 25 years old, 3.675 for one more year. Uh, he kind of looked like, you know, he scored, I believe, 25. Uh, oh, no, 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 that was in junior. He had 27 goals. In 2018-19, kind of looked like he was, you know, 42 points, 68 games, kind of looked like he might break out and just never really has, like 35 and 65 and then 14 and 41, just kind of like a a 40-point guy across his whole career. He's a fine player. I'm I'm really interested to see if they move him, what the cost for him is, where he goes, like all all that kind of stuff. Do you remember when Jake DeBrusque had a sky high on ice shooting percentage and there was legitimate debate if he was better than Matt Barzell because he had a higher war in their first year? Yes. That was a glorious time to be alive, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He seems like he would be like a good pickup for almost any decent team, right? Yeah, like he's a good second, third line player. Like, yeah. If you're a good team, uh, play him on your third line. That's step. The Leafs could – use them ironically enough given the history there yeah i mean like even bad teams it's like if you want to play him up the lineup you can he's a serviceable nhl body yep yeah you can't be the reason your first line's good or whatever but 
if he's got two other players to drive the line, I refuse to believe that he couldn't play on, like as a pass mirror on a first line. Yeah, so that kind of makes it hard for Boston because it's like that's going to kind of be the exact kind of thing that Boston looks like at for the deadline. You know, like yeah, they need to try to find a way to sort of like line A for Dubois in at a lower yeah. scale. Like, because otherwise they're just going to outright lose this trade, which I mean, maybe that's best for both sides, to be honest. Maybe they just can't ever make it work together. And that's the best way to move on. But I feel like the only way they get out of this even is if they kind of find another guy in a similar situation. Yeah. The, the other way I could see is maybe if you wait till the deadline and you flip, you sell quote unquote for DeBrusque, like say Tampa picks DeBrusque up or whatever, and you get like a second form and you take that second and flip, a, take the second and a third and flip it for someone who's a little better than DeBrusque. Yeah. Like that's yeah, the only other like way out, right? Like, um, but like apparently the asking price has been like a first, pl- like a, like they want like at least a first and maybe a prospect with it, which like, a I, I just I don't think I would give that up for DeBrusque. Maybe if you're if you're Tampa, maybe, but like, you need yeah, to be confident you're going on a run to you know be willing to give that up. Yeah, you need to be really good to to consider doing that, and it's just like. Maybe he actually would still be a smart thing to do that with as opposed to like a rental or whatever, but I don't know. That seems like a lot for a guy who's Boston's not in a great position here. Yeah, exactly. Right. Where it's like, I think, you know, I would definitely give up a second round pick if I was even like, like if you're Arizona, well, maybe not Arizona, they, they have a long way to go, but like if you're a team that I'm trying to think of like, hell, if you're Arizona and you have five second round picks, you can't develop all of them. Exactly right. So it's like if you're a team of multiple second round picks, like Ottawa's got uh, two seconds, two thirds this year. Like they have Boston or three thirds. Sorry, they have Boston's third. If the price gets low enough, I would absolutely love Ottawa to like just throw Boston's third back at them, and you know maybe a fifth or so, whatever. Like whatever's going to get that done. Prospect who's not that good. Yeah, and like a seventh or something. And and, you know then you have another legit roster player on your wing or whatever, and it's like. Well, that would help, um, you know, like the Devils, they, they have multiple fourth, but even like if the Devils say they get to the point where it's like, they're obviously, they're probably going to miss the playoffs, but they're obviously not like a bottom five team anymore. And, you know, they feel they can get DeBrusque under a decent, like a three, four year extension at a decent price. If you give them a second round pick for that, and, you know, that second round pick ends up being like the 46th overall pick in the draft, like that's not the end of the world at all. Yeah, 100%. It actually goes back to, uh, and this is just going to be absolutely A-plus sports journalism right here, the podcast we did last week about how, like, getting Jake DeBrusque out of a third-round pick is like a 95th percentile outcome for that pick. So why not just try it on him when he has some upside, right? Yes, exactly. That was the exact thing I was thinking about when I was, like, going going through this. Um, yeah, and again, if you want to hear the reasoning, go listen to the episode last week. Uh, it was a really good one, but um, yeah, like I could see him being either like a, a deadline pickup. Like I could see like a team like Colorado, even although Colorado doesn't have any picks right now, but I could see like a team like, um, you know, anyone even just picking him up and then they take that asset to try and flip somewhere else. Or, you know, if, if they can find a player, like, um, I wonder if this has a fit. And I, I don't really know. I'm just kind of spitballing here. Kevin Fiala doesn't seem very, I, I've heard a couple things of like Fiala, maybe wanting out of Minnesota after this year. Um, yeah. now you're the team giving up like the third round pick or whatever, but that would be good. If you could do like a DeBrusque for Fiala kind of thing where 
yeah, you're probably going to, you're going to have to give up a pick with the brush, but yeah, it's like you're buying Fiala at the deadline and you're, you know, you're getting an upgrade on Fiala's better than DeBrusque. And it, I could see it for like Minnesota too. And I don't know, like maybe he will want to stick around, but I know Fiala has been like one of the few guys who it feels like he gets in the coach's doghouse more than other guys, uh, yeah. whether that's reasonable or not. Um, so I have heard a couple of rumors that it's like Fiala might want to, you know, want to move or a change of scenery. And it's like, if you're the wild, you're about to have those massive buyouts of Suter and Parise if you can even save, say, like a million dollars going from, or, you know, Fiala's raise is probably going to be more than that, too. If you can save like $2 million from DeBrus to Fiala over the next couple of years, maybe you look at that as something you need to do as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that kind of situation is the only way. That or they're going to just probably have to sell them for an asset, get a second round pick or whatever, and, and hope you can just find another player to plug in, you know, buy and plug in cheap for him. So. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but we'll keep an eye on it. And it's, it's very possible we are talking about this again in the summer or something because this is legitimately, I think, the third year in a row that his name has come up trade talks, it feels like, but we'll see. Yeah, he kind of has been in there for forever, eh? Yeah, like, it feels like every deadline is like, oh, depressed could be a piece. Says they're not really loving it, but he's got the potential or whatever. So we'll, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, I think that's just about it for me. Uh, you got anything else? I don't think so. All right. Well, as always, you can find my work at lastwordinthehockey.com, me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff, Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, and I keep forgetting to pull this up. Is it uh, – what's the site, Chase? The Action Network. The Action Network. Is it HQ or is it just the Action Network? I think it's just the Action Network. They're, they're like Twitter or something. They say the Action Network AQ, HQ and something, but like the website itself is just called. Yeah. The okay. Action yeah. Network. So you can find all Chase's stuff at actionnetwork.com uh, on Twitter at Action Network HQ uh, if you need it. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we'll thank you all next week.